0: ...that has quietly spawned an international phenomenon and multi-billion dollar industry. Brought to market in 1993 for under $100,000, it outsells Monopoly and Scrabble combined. It is overlooked, misunderstood, and for some of the smartest young people on the planet, profoundly influential. Those who seek insight into the future of Wall Street traders, research scientists, poker stars technologists, and bootstrapped entrepreneurs would be well-served to sit down at a neighborhood magic game. Created by an iconoclastic Ivy League mathematician named Dr. Richard Garfield, magic combines mythological fantasy, baseball card-style collectability, and raw competitive strategy into something unique. It's called a trading card game. The fundamental design which Garfield patented is the basis of cottage industry titles such as Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! It's also the reason Hasbro, the powerhouse behind PlaySchool, Tonka, and Milton Bradley Toys and Games, paid a half-billion bucks to buy Wizards of the Coast, the scrappy startup Garfield co-owned. The trail of magic's shiny wrappers runs through pizza joints and dorm rooms, summer camps and cafeterias from the main streets of New Jersey to the alleys of Japan. The game, published in 10 languages in 52 countries, is now Hasbro's top brand. For the best players, it's also a lucrative lifestyle. Starting as young as 14, the elite travel to exotic locales from Rio de Janeiro to Kuala Lumpur, competing in tournaments for $3 million in cash prizes. The pros make a living at Magic alone. With individual earnings as high as $350,000, many have put themselves through college with the game. In short, Magic is transforming legions of neglected whiz kids into ultra-savvy teenage high rollers, or, as Garfield likes to call them, mental athletes. Now, this new generation of players, weaned on video games, schooled on Magic, and empowered by the Internet, is coming of age and cashing in. But their rise has not come without controversy. Magic has been banned by schools, counterfeited by crooks, blamed for Satanism, thievery, and ritual death. It has been called evil, blasphemous, and cardboard crack. With more magic veterans popping up at poker tables, the game is becoming causally linked with the surge in teenage gambling. Parents and pundits want to know why their brightest young bulbs are dropping out of college and foregoing prestigious careers for this. We could be finding the cure for cancer, but instead we're playing cards, Finkel says. Why is that? Finkel's story provides an answer. For millions of fans, his remarkable transformation from chump to champ is already the inspirational stuff of legend. He's the Rocky of playing cards, a sympathetic underdog who, through skill and determination, beat enormous odds to become a world champion. Beaten up by jocks, overlooked by teachers, and shunned by girls, he was once an overweight, suicidal, self-described loser who typified how smart, awkward boys in America get lost in a shuffle. Now this slim and confident millionaire epitomizes how, in the most unlikely ways, they're being found. It's amazing that a guy like me can become the best in the world at something, he says. And once you find your edge, he knows, there's nothing you can't do. Inside the horseshoe, the players took their seats. Cameras rolled. Chips stacked. Finkel reached for his cards. Big players have nicknames, and it was time for the world to learn his. The geeks used to call him Finkeltron. Today, they call him Johnny Magic. CHAPTER ONE, DAWN OF THE DORK Yo no soy marinero, yo no soy marinero, soy capitan, soy capitan, soy capitan. Bumba, 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 Fourteen-year-old John Finkel rocked inside his Lilliputian chair in the back of the classroom, singing at the top of his lungs. As his gelatinous body swayed, his bottom roll of stomach fat bulged under the desk's juicy fruit stalactites. A black-stained Phillies T-shirt flapped over his loose jeans. His long, tangled hair curled like a roller coaster into what he affectionately termed his jufro. An enormous pair of square glasses slipped down a long, large nose— that bent in the middle like it was perpetually ducking a punch. His eyes were two frantic bugs sealed in novelty ice cubes. As he hit the last note of the song, he pushed his glasses back into place and raised his flabby arms in the air with a triumphant, Hey! But no applause came. This wasn't music class. It was geography. And by the looks of the bored, pencil-chewing students around him, The strange and unprovoked burst of song was nothing unusual. Finkel, the biggest loser in school, was just being Finkel again. In the social hierarchy of eighth grade at Park Middle School in Fanwood, New Jersey, in 1992, Finkel was anything but a high roller. Here, as in most schools, there were two ways for a boy to be an outcast. You could be smart or you could be weird. If you were dumb and normal, that was fine, particularly if you could hit a ball far with a stick. Finkel embodied the worst of both worlds. He was both smart and weird. Naturally, the kids hated him. Finkel's unique and stubborn smarts ran in the family. His dad, Mark, a computer analyst, was a headstrong and liberal math nerd who made a career out of speaking his mind. While working as a cryptographer for the National Security Agency, he spoke out loudly against the Vietnam War. When he lost his security clearance for smoking pot, he got drafted, only to declare himself a conscientious objector. While working as a VISTA volunteer, a community service group in Brockport, New York, Mark met Claire Byrne, an elementary school teacher who had dropped out of a different institution, the convent. After six years studying to be a nun, Claire decided her faith wasn't strong enough to inspire a lifetime vow. She wanted something new. She found it in Mark, an argumentative Jew from Philadelphia. The two married, and two days after their first child was born, on May 18, 1978, Claire and the boy converted to Judaism. After moving to New Jersey where Mark got a job as a computer analyst with the British Oxygen Company, the Finkels nurtured the exceptional intellects of John and his new baby sister, Jenny. When John was four, his father taught him to convert numbers into binary code. It became something of a parlor trick. "'Hey, John, what's four in binary?' his dad would ask on the fly. "'100,' the curly-haired boy replied." To improve John's math skills, Mark programmed a computer game called Hex Baseball. For the characters to advance, John had to correctly answer hexadecimal arithmetic questions. To teach his son to read, Mark designed a modification of a computer game called Colossal Cave Adventure. Every time John typed in a directional command, go, turn left, the character on the screen responded accordingly. At bedtime, Mark didn't read to John from Hop on Pop, but from his dog-eared collection of science fiction and fantasy novels. The boy would fall asleep dreaming of shiny spaceships and green-skinned orcs. By the time he got to kindergarten, John's exceptional nature and nurture were readily apparent. He's not only reading, his teacher refused, he's reading at a third-grade level. Before long, Finkel was reading his dad's books by himself. One time, after reading his son nightly chapters of The Fellowship of the Ring, Mark had to go away on a business trip. When he came back two days later, he picked the book back up, but there was no need. John had read 200 pages ahead on his own. He was seven. The other side of his brain continued blooming, too. One afternoon, Claire brought him to nearby King College, where she was getting a degree in math. Inside a physics classroom a professor noticed the pudgy boy fidgeting with a ruler. For fun, he asked the boy to compare two measurements. When Finkel quickly calculated the difference in length, the teacher arched his brow. You should send him to private school, he told Claire. Hoping to provide their son with a greater range of experience, however, Finkel's parents stuck with public school. They knew their boy was different, but as Claire said, she wanted him to be normal. Yet there was nothing normal about him. After finishing his classwork early, Finkel would waddle to his teacher's desk.